welcome to the Artist Appeals. This is Erin Sparler and I'm your host. In the Artist Appeals, we interview artists, crafters, photographers, and business professionals about the business of art. I hope you'll join us and enjoy the show. Quick offer here. Can I make you an offer? I hope that's all right. I have a new online course. I've been working really hard to build this course for you. It summarizes everything we've been talking about in the Artist Appeals, the seven-step system for building a business in the arts. It was there to help you make your art appeal. Takes everything I've learned from 12 years of college, plus all this information from all these great guests, plus five special bonuses, five special bonus classes worth over $350 thrown right in for free. You can check it out at theartistappeals.com. Course starts September 17th, and for a limited time, we're offering an amazing discount. So please visit theartistappeals.com and make your art appealing. Hey there, folks. This is a unique episode of The Artist Appeals because we're talking to a woman who has really made it through social media. This artist started out just like all of us with no following and she started creating from a place of pain but you'd never guess it to look at her work her work is this beautiful rainbow of colors and her work has gone on to be featured in general mills uc berkeley the saint paul regional rail authority minneapolis public schools the minneapolis saint airport she's got this Amazing following on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, and YouTube with over 1 million unique followers now. And of course, like anybody, she started from nothing, from scratch. She's one of the first people to start videoing her process art, showing those details. She works a lot in watercolor and collage. And so you can see these drops of color moving across the paper and spreading or time-lapse stuff of her geometric work. And just color exploding and oozing in every sort of liquid and ink and satisfying video you can think of. Her videos have over more than 1 billion views. Yeah, you heard that right. Over 1 billion views of her painting. Her work's been featured in Design Sponge, Good Housekeeping, El Decor, Insider, My Modern Met, George Taki, Bored Panda, Bored Panda, Mental Floss, Cosmopolitan Spotlight, The Gels Curator, and the National Endowment for the Arts. And all this came together recently in her new book, The New Color Mixing Companion, which was released in 2018. You can actually get this book and follow along and make artwork just like her. She shares her techniques and her gorgeous methods for finding flow. That's one of the things we talk about in here. And all of these wonderful things color and brightness and just a love of art. So without further ado, I'm very excited to introduce you to Josie Lewis. All right, here we go. (laughs) Welcome, Josie. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for being on. I always like to start the Artist Appeals podcast with a backstory, with finding out a little bit about how you came to be where you are now. 
I just discovered you through Instagram. I've been watching your feed for, I don't know, a year or two. I have to admit, I've been, I've been stalking you. Awesome. I love your, <laughs> I love your process videos. They're just so satisfying to watch, you know? Sure. You've really gained some traction in the last couple of years. How did you come to be an artist and be an Instagram artist? And I know you just recently released a book. Yeah. Tell us, where were you before this? Yeah, yeah. Well, the arc is I was born to an artist and my dad's a painter and my folks are uh, hippies up in the woods. And on. my siblings and I were all homeschooled. But in those days, it, with the parents that I had, it was more like unschooling, which was <laughs> I've heard we had of a, that. Lot, a lot of freedom, <laughs> like a lot of freedom to do kind of whatever we want. We grew up with horses and we grew up way in the north woods of Minnesota. And I did dabble in a little public school. Like I kind of wanted to go back here and there. So I'd go back for a year and drop out. And then I went to college a little bit early. And I, you know, went through, I got a, a BFA as a, and I knew, yeah. I knew from the time I was about 15 or 16 that I wanted to be a visual artist. Uh-huh. And then, so I got a BFA and then I traveled for a lot of my twenties. And then I went on to get a master's. I went to the university of Minnesota. And then a little later in life, got married and had our first child. And at that point, I was not on the web that much. I mean, I had like a Facebook page, like everybody my age does. And because I'm like 43, so I'm a little bit older. Did You're a the same lot age of the... as me. Oh, really? Yeah. 76. Totally same age. 76. Bicentennial year. Right on. When's your birthday? Uh, March. I'm a Pisces. Okay. I am July. So I'm very, actually very close to the 4th of July. So you weren't doing art at that point. Oh, no. I was always no? doing art. There was never okay. a point that I stopped doing art, but I wasn't on the internet. Okay. Were you selling anything? Yes. So I would do, I, you know, like my CV, you know, goes back pretty much to the time I was 18 or something. Well, yeah. You show. got a BFA. So right. You I were... had a BFA and... And I would apply. Minnesota is a great state for grants. So I'd, I'd apply and get grants. And I'd have, you know, there's, there's also a lot of exhibition opportunities here. So I would be doing that. And then I, would, I traveled a lot. Did you do the craft show venue? No. No, no I never okay. did that. Mm-hmm. I was always painting. Mm-hmm. And I actually looked at a couple of the craft shows in town here. And, and I think I actually applied to one and got in and then just did do it for whatever reason. But and then I didn't, I had an Instagram account that I would, you know, use like Facebook kind of friends and family type thing. This mm-hmm. is back at the end of 2016. And between 2014 and 2016, I had a lot of uh, fertility issues. We tried to have a second child and Aww. we had a full term stillbirth and then multiple oh. miscarriages, a real rough time. Oh, and I, I also yeah. was feeling pretty Damn. lackluster about my career, my art career. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a lot of, a lot of factors there. Like I was a new mom. I mean, I had, a, I had a healthy baby and then I went through all those losses and yeah. I, you know, I got married late in life. So that was a big change and it was great. My husband's amazing, but it was just like, whoa, I've, you know, I've got a husband and a child and and then now I don't really feel like I'm connecting with an audience. And I had a, in Minnesota, there's a really wonderful art crawl culture. 
So mm. I had a studio space in a building called the Northrop King where there's literally hundreds of artists. And twice a year, they put on a big studio crawl that gets thousands and thousands of people. So I was doing that. And I, I was selling, you know, I was basically like, as, you know, as far as the studio space went, I would break even or a little bit more. And mm-hmm. I get awesome. grants here and there. And, you know, it was like pretty modest as far as actual income, but it was enough to kind of keep me in paint and, you know, carry on. But when I went <laughs> through all that fertility stuff, it just became kind of a, you know, I maybe was like a little bit of an early midlife crisis because I was just like, it's not worth it. It felt like a hobby to me. You know, I knew I was a creative person. I knew I was always going to make art. But I was like, if I can't connect with an audience and if I can't figure out a way to generate a more significant income, there, there's other things I can do, you know, like, so I really, I mean, I'm, and, and the way I'm talking about it now sounds maybe kind of glib, but it didn't feel glib at the time, you know, like at the time it was really hard because I was like, well, yeah, it's a crisis having, yep. having fertility yep. issues is a crisis. Yep. I myself have been there and done that. Yep. I had three losses myself oh, wow. and yeah. it just sets your brain in this space where you're like it dumps all these hormones into you and it oh my screws gosh, things yes. up <laughs> yes yeah and then yeah art is work yes. you know you have yep. to work at it and when you're not seeing a return on that constant investment of time that can really create well what we label as a crisis or a defining offense so that was your transition period what did you decide so the thing that I that I knew was that I was a creative person and I loved playing with color and I went to the hardware store and bought a or bought I stole a bunch of paint chips. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you steal something that's free? I don't really know, but I took a lot of them for and I was intending to use them for something different than which they were offered to me because I would cut them up and make collages and what I found was that when I was in the studio, you know, doing these super simple collages with paint chips or really simple pattern paintings with watercolor, that yeah. I would kind of like drop into like an altered state. And the when zone. I was the zone, yeah. And I was going through all these like, you know, like you say that the I mean, I believe in the hormones after you know having oh, yeah. you know a full preg you know a healthy pregnancy and then a bunch of ones that weren't healthy, and it's like. The, those hormones, holy moly, you know, like that stuff is real. And so I found that when I was doing the most simple possible exercises with color, I would get into, you know, what I now know to be a flow state, which is like a neurological condition that tons and tons of people have studied because it's amazing. And it was yeah, the only time. It? Yeah. Yeah. And it was the only time I would feel normal. Yeah in all that emotional and physical pain, I would actually feel like I'd returned to myself. Well, you know, there's actually a book called Flow. Yes, and indeed. And they talk about elite athletes hitting the zone or, or getting in the flow. They talk about it in the sense of writers, any sort of artist has experienced it. And yoga, yoga also elicits that response. Yes, for I sure. I just think it's a, what a lot of people are seeking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's almost no limit to what can get people into flow. You know, certainly high level sports, you know, downhill skiing, playing basketball, music, yeah. theater, public speaking, cooking, knitting, yeah. jogging, gardening. I mean, you know, there's no end to it of what what will get people there. And mm-hmm. for me, I really I really needed it. But then I'm also curious. 
So I started doing mm-hmm. some research on it, like what's happening? And, you know, like the neuroscience of it is absolutely amazing. Like there's so many just crazy things that happen. Like there's this whole like cocktail of like feel good head chemicals that's released and <laughs> your prefrontal cortex that is you know, usually in charge of like high level human thinking and reasoning kind of stuff, you know, judging self-awareness, that part of our brain goes dark during flow. Like it just winks out. Oh. So, you, so you legitimately have like an out of self experience, which is why you can like, you know, be in this zone and then kind of come to yourself and realize that, oh gosh, like five and a half hours just passed. And I really need to go to the bathroom <laughs> and like, because you, you, you know, the way I just uh, listened to a great Ted talk by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and he talks about how we only, you know, we can only comprehend so many bites of incoming information. So what yeah. happens is when you're in flow, it's all of your tension goes to your flow state. And so things like your headache just go away because your, your brain can't, doesn't have extra room, you know, to pay attention yeah. to that or your, or your emotional pain. And what's super interesting about it, you know, I mean, I could talk forever about flow because I'm fascinated by it, but there's a real similar state that happens um, in people who are drinking alcohol and certain kinds of drugs. So the state is the prefrontal cortex goes dark, but it's like, you know, it's aided and abetted by alcohol in somebody's body. But that makes me just really think about like how... The cliche that, say, musicians or artists are also addicts, you know, like it makes me wonder if maybe, you know, artists and musicians just really, really need flow, you know, like, and yeah, they can get it by making music, but they can also get it by having a few cocktails, you know, like having some some heroin, for instance. You know, yikes. You know, maybe knowing that people can substitute art for. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've read about flow, not to belabor this topic too long, but it's such a big, beautiful, amazing topic. And like I said, I think it's why we do a lot of it, what we do. Apparently, if you find an activity that is something that you're fairly good at, and if it comes fairly easy, but then you push yourself just out of your comfort zone, that is when flow can come. Combine that with repetitive pattern, repetitive yep. stroke pattern, like yep. Zen Tangle, yep. or I do ENSOs. So oh. I've been doing huh. two and a half years. I'm on two and a half years of everyday ENSOs, hmm. um, which is just a circle painting. Yeah. But, you know, I'm kind of pushing the limits of of that Zen practice. So hmm. instead of it just being black ink, it's now color and drips hmm. and adding mm-hmm. in line. And just pushing that membrane, that edge just a little bit helps you hit that flow. Yes. And there's actually a lot of research on that, which is fascinating. There's actually a percentage of difficulty that you need to get to. And whenever I ask an audience, like what they think that percentage is, because the idea is you have to have like a a ratio between the challenge of the activity and your skill. Yeah. So, and to get into flow, you have to have like this perfect marriage of the challenge and your skill level. And there's a percentage that they've attached to that. So it's like the, you know, 50% 50% difficulty level is what a lot of people think it is. You know, how hard does it have to be to get to flow? And they're like 50%, 60%, I don't know, 40%. And it turns out that that level of difficulty, that sweet spot is 4%. 4%. 4%. So it's wow. like you're saying, it's just on the edge of what you're capable of. 
And of course it's different for every person. So if I was going to go downhill skiing, which I've never done before, you'd have to, you know, put me on the bunny slope and, you know, give me like real careful instruction and maybe like stand in front of me and behind me, you know, like, so I don't die. Yeah. And maybe I could get into flow, you know, but as opposed to like a pro skier who could get into flow really quickly because it's just, it's the whole 4% thing. Yeah. Actually, I've been skiing since I was six and I, I totally oh. put me on the slope and I am yeah. a happy camper. You'd get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm totally and there. I would, but you put me on the slope and I would think I'm going to die. so we've talked about your defining event and your backstory but let's talk a little bit about your art and describe it for people because your art is so gorgeous it's so colorful and if you guys haven't seen it you got to look up josielewis.com or follow her on instagram and of course we'll have links down below to all the things that we talk about in this podcast but you just have this rainbow of color and you, you're practicing some sacred geometry, some geometric forms, and then you've got these beautiful uh, collages. But collage doesn't really quite capture what you're doing because they're almost like geodes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I call How them. How did you yeah. come to that? Let, let's talk about your art. Like, Yeah. Yeah. So, What are you I making? Mean, like, what are you doing? You know, I, I had been making art my whole life and I had run the whole gamut. I'd made a lot of different stuff. And, you know, I really was influenced by my father. You know, he was kind of my, you know, my formative person for art. And he Mm -hmm. paints um, really gorgeous oil paintings of landscapes and horses. And they're quite representational, very realistic. And so I would, that's what I started doing. Although I did paint with watercolors when I was younger, but I would do a lot of portraits and I would do, when I was traveling, I'd sit out in a park and paint the park and, you know, that sort of thing. And plein so air. what's that? You've, you've done that? No, plein air. Oh, plein Did air. Did I say that yeah. right? Yep. The plein air. Yep. And then I, I would sometimes, you know, like do little abstract things on the side. And then when I got to grad school, I had been pa- painting these almost like photorealistic oil paintings of city, like kind of dystopian cities. And I was mm-hmm. getting all these critiques, which which amounted to there's a lot of people who paint dystopian oil paintings of cities. And what are mm-hmm. you bringing to the subject? <laughs> like, is it I had technical chops, you know, I could make it look kind of cool. But I, I and you know, there's a lot of critiques I didn't agree with in grad school. But th- that one I did agree with. I was like, yeah, like, what's different from me and Edward Hopper? I mean, you know, a much better painter. And also why I'm this I'd say 80 years later and I'm not doing anything. I don't feel like I have a new voice to this topic. You know, there's a lot of people that are in that category. So I, you know, kind of had like another mini nervous breakdown much earlier. This is about 10 years ago. And I started making these collages, but I I felt like collage was maybe a little pejorative. Like it was maybe considered on the craft side of, you know, in the fine art grad program that I was in, I didn't know if anyone would approve of it. You know, it doesn't seem, it's not, not fancy enough or something. So I was doing it. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. But I would make these huge collages that were really actually very similar to the ge- geode pieces that I'm still making now. And then I discovered resin, which another person in the program was using. And so I started messing around with that. And I found that resin and collage. Folks, we are not talking about pot here. <laughs> no, we are not. Nope. Nope. This is a different thing. It's a different thing. It's a, a the resin is like a two part, very viscous, clear and shiny coating that you can put on top of almost anything. And it, it's it a looks little like epoxy, right? It's like, it's an epoxy. Yep, it's epoxy yep. resin. 
and it is glass-like and very, very shiny. Once it hardens, it's hard. And you can it's so hard you can use it as a countertop application. And Does you it can ever put yellow? It, yes. Yeah. Different different resins have different levels of um, anti-yellowing. So the yeah. resin that I use now is the best on the market. I use art resin, and it's like uh, they've been you know running independent tests of these resin pieces out and I've been doing resin pieces out in my yard, you know, like, uh, you know, for, I have one that's been out there for two years and it hasn't yellowed um, or changed, you know, art resin. I'm I'm really happy. Or is that the ice resin? What's the name of it again? Art resin. Art resin. Art resin. I gotta look that one up. We'll put that link below folks. Zero Vox. So it it's not smelly. I mean, I still use a lot oh, of precautions nice. because I'm just yeah. using it a lot, you know, because you don't want to mess yes, around with chemicals. Yes, people always use safety precautions. Yes, use the safety precautions. I have a spray booth in my house, and I wear masks and gloves and hazmat suits and all that stuff. But nice. So I was using the resin, and then you know, then but then what ended up happening was when I went through that no good time with all the fertility stuff, my art practice really dialed down. Because I just, I couldn't be bothered. You know, it was like, I really just needed to do what I, what made me feel better. I didn't really want to mm-hmm. push, I didn't want to push the cutting edge of art anymore. I just wanted to like make these things that were private and just for me. Although mm-hmm. with the, uh, the, um, I'm never really a very private person. So though <sighs> I was making these things just for me, you know, like they didn't, I didn't intend them to go on a wall. I didn't intend them to support my art career. But uh-huh. I did just for the fun of it. I started doing stop motion or video documentation. So I was recording them as I was making them. And it was like I'd paint 60 hexagons and put a camera or my phone on it. And mm. and then time lapse it down and post it to Instagram to my mm-hmm. 100 followers, you know. And I, you yeah. know, the first couple of times I posted them, I fully expected I would get, you know, 37 views. You know, like I did not. Yeah. You know, I was not thinking it was anything fancy. I was just like, oh, I made this funny video. It's kind of fun to watch. But, they, you know, they immediately were getting 20,000 views, you know, like they really, those early ones, you know, especially. And that was right when Instagram had made video a possibility. And so Mm -hmm. it was just kind of a right place at the right time. Because, of course, now a lot of people document their process on Instagram. Yeah. And I don't even know if I was early adapter I think there's a lot of people doing it then too but something about the way I did it and maybe my color palette which I think people don't understand or don't wouldn't realize you know popping onto my feed they're like rainbows happy and what they don't realize is that it's pretty much 100% an expression of grief like for whatever Mm. reason the rainbow is just the easiest color palette to use because I it kept me at four percent because I always mm. knew what color I was going to use next, you know, so that didn't, I didn't need to think about my color use. It was like, I'm going to use the spectrum and that's what I'm going to use. I'm going to paint these hexagons in the spectrum and I would have whatever I was doing was keeping me at the 4% level. And mm-hmm. if I had started to be like, no, I want to start mixing up the color, which I do now more, you know, but at the time I just couldn't, you know, and it turned out to be really satisfying for people. Yeah. Well, you were pushing the boundaries of medium with the resin and the collage and the paper underneath and the inks. So, you know, your color palette became this rainbow. You know, we talk about in art about having a voice. Yeah. So many people, I think, as artists are still seeking their voice. 
And one of the ways I think you can really find your voice the fastest and the easiest is not only a creating a lot and just yeah. creating, 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 yep. creating, yep. but it's putting limitations on yourself. Oh, and it sure. may sound like, you know, you're not putting a limitation on yourself to say, oh, I'm using the spectrum, but you are because yeah. you're saying, yeah, this is my color palette, the rainbow. And yeah. It's always going to be rainbow. It's never going to be yeah. black and white and gold. It's never going to be right. <laughs> neutrals. It's always yeah. going to be bright yep. and colorful. Yeah. Yep. And my personal feeling is like you're saying, repetition mm -hmm. is the way to develop individuality. And when an art, you know, a young artist starts off, their work will look strongly derivative. And derivative just means it's derived from somewhere else, you know? So, so a young yeah. artist starts off and they're like looking at a museum or they have a professor or a father like me, you know, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, I'm going to make art like that. Like that moves me. I'm going to, you know, so then they kind of piggyback on someone else's process. And the only way and that in this whole age of copying, there's some few like danger zones there, <laughs> you know, like. Mm. Let's talk because, about them. What are the danger zones? Well, you know, like if in this age of having your own Instagram feed and piggybacking on someone else's process mm, copyright infringement they're a little bit and they're in copyrights a real sticky thing in the arts because of course you know i can't like i can't copyright my um rainbow hexagons <laughs> you know like right you know i'm not the first person to paint hexagons and probably not the first person to paint them in rainbow and i can't you know so then it's like i if somebody else does it in my style it's good and acceptable like oh great someone's been inspired by me but then if people i don't know this, it gets to be a little bit of a sticky thing because i'm real open with mm -hmm. my process and i don't really mind when people are inspired by me and even copy me mm -hmm. but that i'm not i'm unlike probably other artists that you know really don't like that <laughs> you know yeah. like at all and there's this thing though now i mean what i've seen and what we're talking about with the artist appeals is I'm trying to break down a really big topic into seven steps. And what I'm seeing with a lot of people in the copyright thing is that a great way to expand your audience and be successful as an artist is to teach your style once you find oh, yeah. what works yeah. for you. Yep. If you are generous and you yep. share that yep. with people. Yeah. It's one of the best ways to grow your audience. And yes, yeah. copyright is mm -hmm. a very tricky, sneaky thing. But I think a general good rule of thumb is to ask yourself, would I be upset if somebody did this with my piece of art? So you just mm -hmm. try and put yourself, mm -hmm. you just try and mm -hmm. have empathy. You yep. know, that's what I used to tell my students. I'd say to them when they would download something off the internet and start Photoshopping it, I'd say, yep. okay, <laughs> can you recognize if that was, if you were the artist that made that, and you saw your piece, could you recognize your own art in it? And would you be upset by the usage? Right, right. Yeah. So you got to have empathy. And then finally, you know, the goal, I would, I would tell anybody, yeah, like, you know, find someone you love and, and make some work that's follow in somebody's footsteps. It's really great if they're dead. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's really great if it's like Van Gogh, you know, because then it's like, no, you know, you're okay to copy Van Gogh, you know, like go for it, yeah. you know, and then yeah. if, in this, you know, the way it is now, though, it's like I can make something yesterday and somebody else can copy it today if I, you know, if I'm posting it on internet, like that's right. the, just the way it is. 
but then the end goal is always to find your own voice. You know, for any artist, it's like, yeah, learn your skills, learn the craft, learn, learn different approaches. And then the more you carry on as an artist, you will, your voice will develop. It just is a natural part of what happens. And that's, and that is the goal, you know, like the goal is to be our own unique and magical person because we all have that in us. Well said, no doubt. So let's talk product. So, you know, the seven step process is appeals, A-P-P-E-A-L-S. So art, you make your art first, you find your voice. Then you've really got to look at your art as a product. How do you charge for it? Right. And I know you, you've got these huge collages, you've got mosaics. Like I'm actually looking at your butterfly wall. This mosaic is what, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Mm -hmm. 10 feet by like 20 or something. Yeah, there's two of them that are 12 by 9 each. Oh, amazing. They're gorgeous. They're butterfly mosaics on the wall with them. What did you use for those? It's a 12 millimeter glass tile, which are a half inch square. And there's 200,000 tiles in that piece. Wow. So that would be like a commission piece, right? That would be your top of your product ladder, right? Yes. Yep. And then I know you also have Petri dishes, which are these wonderful little, like, um, I want to call them coasters, but they're so much cooler than a coaster. Yeah. They're a round Petri dish with color blooming in it. Yes. Yeah. And would you consider that kind of your, so we're kind of talking about this in terms of products and like a product ladder is when you have products that are at the low price point, medium price point, and high price point. So yep. I almost call those yep. your like your yep. medium price point, right? Yeah. I mean those would be the low, the low end of what I what I do. Ah, know, but sure. then you have your book and you have oh, free sure. stuff too. Yeah. 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 So I mean really you've got more than you think you do. Like Yeah, one of the things uh, I've been thinking about a lot, I read this really terrific article that came out from like the it was like a government thing and they they did like a finances in the arts Mm -hmm. kind of an audit Mm -hmm. and it was the data that i have is like way back in 2013 so it's not super current because it was like a huge study and i I don't know if they do them every year i might be able to find another one but they they always are a little bit old because they have to uh go through the data and publish it so it always takes a year or two to collect and then publish exactly so you know, the GDP for arts and entertainment, which is a big bucket, it includes, you know, entertainment and theaters and I think literature. There's a lot in there. But the GDP is $704 billion, which is above, I think this is a triumph, which is above military spending in America, which I think is really great. We spend more money on art than the military so far. Really? <laughs> yes. I've never yep. heard that before. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I know. Art. Isn't that great? Yep. Go art. Yep. <laughs> and it's the, America's number one export. You know, I, I imagine you have people from all over the world that listen to this, but America has really no idea. put out a lot of, a lot of intellectual property, which I think is amazing. Yeah. And uh, there's, you know, two and a half million artists that are active in the American workforce. There is $151 billion of consumer spending in the visual arts. And what I thought was really, really significant about some of this data, which A, it kind of dispels the myth of the starving artist, you know, first of all. And yeah. second of all, in this data, they talked about there's just under a million what they called artist entrepreneurs. 
And what they meant by that is uh, somebody who doesn't have to have another job, like a side hustle, somebody who just makes art to support themselves and sells it. But Mm -hmm. the thing that's real important to note about that is that entrepreneur is like somebody who's taking risks and figuring out markets. And Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's all sorts of things that go into what it means to be an entrepreneur. And then there's all sorts of things that go into being an artist. So you're basically, you know, you're the creative direction. You're the CEO, you're the CFO, you're the distributor, you are the webmaster. I mean, of course, you can hire this stuff out if you if you have the revenue for it. But in the beginning, you got to do all these things, you know, and yeah. then you are also trying to make the art and also you're the janitor. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all, all of the things. You are all Yeah, the I things. hate the cleanup. Yeah, the cleanup. Oh, my gosh. So that's something I've been thinking about a lot as what I, you know, I, I think I fit that, I fit that uh, definition. I'm, I'm absolutely an artist entrepreneur, but it's not easy. And I think it's a very specific type of person that can do that, you know, can make the art and then also sell it and also not be crushed when it doesn't sell, you know, like, and also maintain like emotional health in the whole process of, you know, trying to sell things that they, they made. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, I would agree with you 100% on all that. You know, we have so much to do. And marketing is, I've heard people say that you should spend like 80% of your time marketing and 20% of your time creating. And that's not what we want to do as artists. Oh, for sure. That's not what we want to do. But that's the reality. You know, like, that is absolutely the reality. So if you can figure out a way to make that fun, you know, if, if you can figure out a way to find your flow, through Instagram yeah. <laughs> like, or, or through writing copy or through building your website, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you know, I can do it to varying degrees on certain things, you know, mm-hmm. um, but for sure, you know, Instagram or any other kind of social media platform works for me. You know, like I, I have artist friends that just don't like the practice of posting every day and they don't like to engage that way, but for me it works, you know? So, so then that, that I just kind of folded that in. Right. To my overall day to day. Yeah, I found that challenging myself to do the two year. Well, I started out doing a 365 project and I found that forcing myself, even just for myself, saying I'm going to post every single day held me accountable. And if I hadn't set myself yep. that goal, I yep. wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it became mm-hmm. two years and now yep. it's rolling into three. And so, yeah, you have to make it part of the process, I think. Yeah. Well, I think Instagram is like really the ultimate productivity tool because if you follow best practices on Instagram, you need to post every day. And if you're going to post every day, you kind of want to have good content, which means you got to, it might not be that you're making something every day, but you have to have content bites every day. Yeah. And then that's a great driver. Right. And that actually leads us perfectly into the second P or presentation. Yeah. Because you're doing a different sort of presentation. You know, traditional presentation is framing and matting and glass. But each of the people I've interviewed has different presentation tips, which I think is spectacular. And really, your presentation medium is Instagram. So can you give us any tips about presenting on Instagram? Anything that's made it faster, easier, better, um, just created flow for you? Yeah, sure. I mean... I like the planning apps. I use one called Later. And it just means you can uh, 
you can put, you can feed in your posts and then mm-hmm. write captions on a schedule. And mm-hmm. so then if I, especially if I'm going to be traveling or if I'm going to be busy for a few days and I want to continue posting every day, I can use that, that app to just kind of like schedule it out. So that's just a functionality thing that works for me. Now, now a while a ago, while I looked ago, at I looked Planner, like Planner, which is one of those planning yep. posting yeah. apps, uh-huh. but it only reminded you to post. It didn't actually... Like you could set it up and see yeah, what it's going to yeah, look like, so you could about, that, yeah, Instagram the grid. has rules about automatic posting, mm-hmm. and it actually they change the rules all the time. The Instagram oh. API changes them, but the current rule, you know, as of this recording at one twenty six p.m., like <laughs> they <laughs> they allow something. you right, yeah, they allow you to schedule your posts and to automatically post them, and I rarely do that. But I could, I could do it if I wanted to, but I prefer like having it all set up. I'll have my copy set up. I'll have my hashtags picked out and then it'll be there. Cause sometimes I tend to be fairly intuitive about how I post. Mm -hmm. And so what'll happen is I'll schedule out a week or I'll maybe have five or six posts available. And then just depending on how I feel at that moment, I'll, I'll make different selections, you know, like, I think I'm going to post this one today, you know, like. There's no rhyme or reason to it, but I, I like to just have that creative that control. I like to be right. Yeah, I like to have that creative control. But now, like with Pinterest, I currently have been having a lot of success posting video to Pinterest. So, you know, there's a hot tip. Video on Pinterest is kind of a new thing and it's, it's been mm-hmm. working great for me. And I schedule that out and I don't mess with it. Like I'll try to schedule a- it out for the week. Do you use a planner app for that as well? Yeah, my later we'll do that, but I've been doing it right in the app. So because uh, Pinterest allows you to to schedule out, I think it's like two weeks. Oh, that you can schedule it out in time and put it. You know, I think you can do that on Facebook too, where they they give you like a a timed way to post. Oh, cool! I like that. I'm gonna have to look into that. I know Tailwind used to be an app that you could use to schedule posts for Pinterest. I didn't know they had rolled that in now. Yeah, it seems like it's there. Yeah. Awesome. So how do you educate your audience to the stories behind your work? You know, outreach to our audience is one of the most crucial things we can do as as artists. And how do you, you know, obviously you're a big Instagrammer. Apparently you're getting on Pinterest now. Um, you mentioned hashtags. Do you use the same or different hashtags? How do you find them? How do you tell a story with all that material? I do think that like you say it's the story so i think people love the story behind me as an artist and what i can offer them i don't know if hashtags i'm like not really certain what hashtags do anymore like because things change in the api all the time with instagram i don't even really know so i i use them but i mix them up and i don't i think it's just a, a classification tool so in other words, if I'm hashtag, I always hashtag it with my name, like a personal mm-hmm. hashtag. And then I have hashtag color companion, which is the name of my book. And that's like another personal hashtag that I offer that I ask people to hashtag their own work with color companion, especially if it's inspired by me so I can see it and then repost it on my sharing account. And then okay. I do more general, general things like hashtag art, hashtag watercolor, hashtag, you know, whatever's relevant. And mm-hmm. those things, I feel like what Instagram, what the uh, algorithm does is it says, okay, this person's using these 10 hashtags and 
this other person over here just likes 10 posts using those hashtags. So they're probably going to like this artist. And then my, my art or my post can show up in that person's feed. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, if I, if I was NASCAR driver and I was using different posts or different hashtags, then I would show up in the NASCAR interested feed, you know, like, and so I, I think that's how it works. Although darned if I even know these days, like, you can actually, actually search actually by sure. hashtags. I you know can that search much. By hashtag, you can follow hashtags. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's a number of things you can do. And so I use them like, you know, I use them. I don't know how important they are these days, but I think they're pretty important. I mean, it's funny because they started in Instagram and you can use like 30 there, I believe. But yep. now all the other social media platforms have incorporated hashtags too. Yep. Yep. They're like, oh, well, we better jump on that yep. bandwagon. Yep. yep. Classification. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually transitions us really well into automation and amplifying your audience. Like you're one person. Yep. We talked about how as an artist, you have to do it all. Yeah. And we talked about when we we're talking about product and presentation about posting in advance. So you set up. But are there other things that you automate or other systems that you use to help streamline things since you are only one person? Well, I do a lot of like drop shipping. So hmm. I still have not really, I'm not using a gallery right now and I'm not selling the daily wares from any kind of distributor, which might be an option in the future. But at the moment I'm warehousing and shipping right out of my own house. So I use, um, you know, there's like shipping software that's like essential mm -hmm. <laughs> to me. You know, I, if, if that's what, if that, is that kind of what you mean by automation? Like, yeah, is that what anything, we're getting at? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like shipping's one. Yeah. Like the, the pre-scheduling of the social yep. media, that's an automation. Pre-scheduling. Yeah. Even like, even in your creative studio. Yeah. You know, if you have, okay, I, cut the pieces here and then I move them to this spot and then I glue them all down. Like anything yeah. that you do in a regular well, manner is a system. One thing that I do in my studio, which has just sort of evolved over time. And it also is because I have a very understanding and creative spouse, but I moved my studio out of that studio building because it wasn't logistically convenient anymore. We moved a couple 20 minutes away and it just didn't make sense for me to work there. Mm -hmm. And so and I've always really liked working out of my house. Mm -hmm. So we bought a house with a walkout basement. It's, it's like ground level, you know, with big windows. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, light filled. And that is almost 100% art space now with a very That's... small Lego section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. We have the exact same setup, except yes. maybe our Lego section's a bit larger. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> we my have boys Legos. are really into Legos. Right. Yeah, we have a walkout basement, big yep. glass, and yep. it's full of art stuff. <laughs> yep. And it, because I do work with so many different mediums, yeah, I find that the setup and you know the teardown and setup is a huge part of the time. And also, if I have uh -huh. to like do a bunch of setup, that can really trigger my procrastination because I'm like, oh, I really want to make this painting, but I'm set up for watercolor right now, and I need to use acrylic or whatever. So because I'm just lucky, this is just sheer good fortune. I oh, have but it stations. sounds like it's a bit of planning too. Oh, it's planning. Give yourself a yeah, little credit planning. there. Yeah, and it's also like I feel like a lot of people don't throw elbows for their art. And they're like, well, I have this little corner in the side of my dining room table. But we have to move it every time we eat. <laughs> like, well, that's three times a day. So 
maybe you could consider, you know, the guest room or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah. So what I what I've done my whole life is like my art studio is more important than my bedroom. You know, it's more important than any <laughs> other room. So in fact, I've lived in warehouses before where it's like it's my bed's in the corner and the rest of it is art space. And and that and that is so essential to having a robust practice for me. And also, you know, it's like I think it also has to do with like I feel like there's a lot of people in the world that really want to make art, but they're not, and they, and they feel probably blocked and stymied and frustrated and sad because they don't seem to be able to get to make it as much as they want. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with like advocating for your art as if it's your kid. Mm-hmm. Listen, my kid gets a bedroom. They're not going to be in the back room of the basement, you know, like I my like kid, that. Yeah. yeah, my kid gets right, you know, time with me. FaceTime with mom. And, you know, especially women, I think there's so many things pressing for our attention. And we don't. Yeah, especially as mothers. Yeah, as mothers and as partners. And, you know, we we have jobs and we have bodies that need to go to the gym. And I mean, there's like so many things that we've got going on. And it's like, it's real easy to let that like thing that feels really luxurious and self indulgent just be crying in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think, you know, advocating for that. So for me, it's like, you know, you know, of the the square footage of my house, I would say 70% of it is art related. (laughs) I love it. I'm not kidding. Like we decided to park in our garage because it's a shop, you know, like, yeah. So in Minnesota, we park outside year round because that's just the way and we do it. it's cold there. You, know? you get snow, it's right? It's cold. We get a lot of snow. And yeah, we get we get feet and feet. But last, this winter, we got six feet of snow or something. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. And we, we parked outside. And so it's like, and that, so we make, we make, we're making these choices and these sacrifices. But then what that means is I get, I get to have a lot of, you know, zones to make some stuff. So I like that idea. And, you know, I've always thought of my art as children, but I never kind of put it in the context you did. Like, sometimes I think about it like, okay, I've got to let this go free into the world. You know, it's grown now. It's oh, sure. to fly the right. coop. You've got to let go of it, too. Yep, for sure. So, and that brings us to licensing and contracts. Yeah. So appeals, art, product, presentation, educating your audience with stories, amplifying and automating, and licensing or contracts. Yeah. What can you share with us on this front? You've got this new book out, which is awesome. Congratulations, yep. by Thank the you. way. It's gorgeous. The new Thanks. color mixing companion. Sounds yes. like a classic. For sure. <laughs> How did this come about and what kind of contract did you have to use? You know, what can you share about this process of yeah. releasing yeah, yeah, an yeah. art book? So- you know, so my approach, I tend to be a kind of a DIYer in all things. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that I do all my shipping myself, I could find someone else to do it for me, or I could have gallery representation. But at this point, I, I don't, I'm not generating the kind of income that would make, I, you know, I could just make far more money doing it myself. I have an assistant, you know, and we, and we make it happen. So then when it comes to like, uh, I got this book offer. And I didn't have an agent. They came, the publisher came to me and I didn't have an agent. And I was, you know, about to like kind of dig into this contract on my own. And I got like some legal advice. And then I just decided, you know what? I am not an expert in publishing contracts and I don't want to be one. <laughs> so yeah. I am going to just go ahead and hire an agent. 
And it kind of hurt a little bit because, you know, like she took a percentage, you know, yeah. from the advance. But it was like, I just don't have time for it. So I'm willing to like have a professional mm-hmm. walk me through this and like tell me what are the pitfalls and what do I need to be aware of and, and negotiate something a little bit better for me. So then that was great. And then other than that, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of repping my own work. I'm not sharing a percentage with anybody. Yeah. I've kicked around, you know, different different things with, you know, art supply manufacturers and different things like that. But really, you know, I'm just kind of out here. Well, you've got your limited edition custom watercolor set, the little travel tin. Yeah. Yep. Who'd you mm-hmm. produce that through? So I worked with a company out of Korea. And so you produced it yourself. Yeah, I produced it myself. Yeah, I do all this stuff myself. Brilliant. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Did you yep. go to Korea? No, no. So I worked with a distributor in, in America, and they sent me all the, uh, I think that the, the company makes 240 colors or something. So they mm-hmm. sent me the full swatch kit, and I went mm-hmm. through it, I you know, swatched them out, and, and I used the paint, and I liked it. You know, I felt like it was good quality. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I selected my 12 colors and, and made a few more. I had to do some graphics for the labeling and stuff like that and yeah, make a few yeah. decisions. And then, you know, and then it's just the question of how many do I order, you know, because there's a bit of yeah. a time delay. So, so they really are your custom sets. Limited Absolutely. edition. I love yeah. it. Very limited. Yeah, very, very limited. Absolutely. Do you want to tell us how many you have left or is it like low? Should people order now? Yeah, I've got a couple hundred and I'm deciding whether to, to, um, to plump them up for the holidays, which, you know, it's August so or nearly August. And I, I need to be thinking about that now. Back which, to school. Back to school coming. School, that could be a thing. Yep. Yeah. So success. The last letter in the appeals process, the seven step system that I try and organize all this art information in is success. How do you feel successful? What makes you feel successful? Or how do you measure success? Because I think I have been guilty, I know, of not measuring it, of not setting a goal and then celebrating when I reach it. Like I set goals, but then I just keep going. I just blow through one and on to the next. You know, how do you celebrate? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm an Enneagram three. And uh, for those that don't know what that is, Enneagram is just like a personality assessment. There's nine types And it's been really helpful for me to dig deep into the Enneagram. Are you familiar with the Enneagram? I am not. I've taken personality tests before, but I don't know that one. Well, the Enneagram is just, I mean, it's been illuminating in such a degree that now, like, you know, my friends and I that are into it, I'll be like, oh, I met this really interesting person. He's a five. (laughs) And then that means so much, you know, because we're like, I'm a little obsessive about it. But anyway, the thing about the three, is that the three is an achiever and likes mm-hmm. to provide value. And the one of the downsides of the three personality is that they um, sometimes are, can be kind of chameleons where mm. they provide value to whatever group they're in. So then, you know, when I was a waitress years ago, I wine was a big thing. And so I just studied everything about wine. And I was like thinking about going to sommelier school and I got like super, super geeked out on it. Mm -hmm. But then when I left the restaurant industry, I still drink plenty of wine. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but I don't really care anymore. You know, it wasn't like it was a true passion of mine. It was just like, oh, I want to provide value right now. Okay. And what what that means for me is that 
I don't really know what success is. This has been something I've been trying to figure out because I'm like, I none of us do. Right. I'm trying to provide value for people. And it seems like I have a couple of venues where it seems to work. So I'm like, right, right on, it's working. But then what that means is I'm now dependent on other people who feel that I'm valuable, you know, mm. <laughs> like, and you can mm. see some pitfalls right there, you know, yeah. like, you know, because then if it's all about, and the of course, social media, I mean, you know, like that, the whole likes and follows and mm. views and that whole game can really get mess get with people, your head. Yeah, it really can, you know, and especially a person who's wired like me. So one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, trying to find the areas where I'm like genuinely like, oh, this is what I want to be doing. You know, like mm-hmm. this feels really good. What can I take off my plate that I'm just doing to provide value for someone? Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but like I have so many things that are going on that I have to take some things away. <laughs> you know, like yeah. So what are the things that I really care about? And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to. It's a spiritual practice actually because it yeah. has to do with li- listening to you know, like my deep, deep heart. Yeah. Like what's going on down there, Josie? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's I've not heard so this easy. in terms of entrepreneurialism too, is that you yeah. really have to take a close look at mm-hmm. what is easy for you yep. and not feel guilty about. Yeah. Because yeah. that is your genius zone or that yeah, is your that, skill, yeah. that is your talent. Sure. And then you focus yep. on that and yep. learn to delegate the other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the sign of a good entrepreneur. Yep. For sure. So that is that is awesome. At the end of all the interviews, I love to ask about books and if there's any books that you would love and give to a friend for a gift or that you would recommend to an aspiring artist. Like, right. Well, there's I love to listen to audiobooks, so I'm I always have a lot going on at any mm-hmm. given time. But the the book you mentioned, Flow by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, is amazing. Mm. Uh, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield is really great. He talks about the resistance and what you know how we get blocked and and how to defeat it. Oh, that sounds great. The Artist Way by Julie Cameron, old that favorite. One. Everybody yeah. loves it, you know. And it has it's again talking about how to deal with being blocked. And it's then a classic. For fun, it is a classic. It's absolutely a classic. I've been through several Artist Way groups, and they're so fun and just wonderful. And uh, I love Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. That's a great one to uh, mm. to inspire the people. And yeah. I'm I'm reading her novel right now, the one that she just released, um, City of Girls, and it's fun and funny and you know sexy and amusing. So that's just novel stuff. But have you seen her TED Talk? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I'm it's giving a, good one. a TED Talk in three weeks. You are. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. I can't wait to see it. We'll have to put a link down to it. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, thank you, Josie. This has been spectacular talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Is there any other things? Let's see here. We will put links, folks. We will put links to everything we discussed in the show notes. So check it out. Go and check out Josie Lewis, that's spelled J-O-S-I-E-L-E-W-I-S dot com. She's got some cool freebies, and you can pick up her book, The New Color Mixing Companion there. Right on. And my paint. (laughs) And your paint sets. Yeah, get one while she still has one. Exactly. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
Hey, I want to take just a quick second to tell you about a new offer I have. All this information that I've been gathering from 12 years plus of teaching, plus all these interviews with amazing guests, I've summarized in the seven-step system, the appeals system for building a business in the art and making your artwork appeal. So whether you're a photographer, a designer, an illustrator, a graphic designer, whatever your specialty is, we've got something for you. It's a new online class. It's the seven-step system for making your artwork appeal. I'm going to teach you all these amazing things, summarize them all in one place, and give you a system so that you can build a business in the arts. And for a limited time, we have five bonuses thrown in for free, as well as I'm offering lifetime access to this course for all these foundational members. So if you're interested in an online class that you can take in the comfort of your home, that you have lifetime access to as it grows and develops and we get even more information, you'll have lifetime access to it for an amazing price of just $197. Go check out theartistappeals.com. Well, that's it for The Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed recording it. I just love talking with all these artists and business people. It's phenomenal and I've learned so much. I hope you've learned something too. You can get more information. You can check out some of the links that we talked about in these podcasts at theartistappeals.com. That's theartistappeals.com. Thanks and have a good one.